Swing and a drive. Deep to left center field. Going, going. Goodbye, baseball. This is Extra Innings. Fastball swing and a miss. Strike three. That's going to retire the side. Seattle sports goes inside the Mariners with more stories, insights, and analysis than you'll find anywhere. Drilled up the middle. Oh, what a catch by J.P. Crawford. Step in the batter's box in the top of the tent right now. It's been blustery. The tides have risen. The rains have fallen. And yet here we are on June 9th, and the Mariners are still within striking distance of the American League wild card. They sit just four back of the Boston Red Sox. And oh, by the way, the Red Sox come to Seattle starting Friday night for a three game series against this Mariners team that, look, I'll be honest, a couple weeks ago on this show, it did not look good. Uh, The main theme of extra innings just a couple weeks ago was how do they dig themselves out of this hole? Well, slowly but surely, the Mariners have started to right things. They have started to point things towards an upward trajectory, winning 8 of 12, winning four straight road series, winning a series in Houston for the first time since 2018. Those are all great things. Those are all things that will get you back amongst the teams that you expected to be amongst before the season started. And you know what else has helped is that the Angels have gone into a complete and utter tailspin, losing 14 in a row, right, 14, basically since the last time we spoke on extra innings a couple weeks ago. I'm Curtis Rogers. And as I've said, it is extra innings. I am with you for the next two hours here on Seattle Sports Station, the Mariners Radio Network. We with you until nine p.m. We've got a lot of great stuff coming your way. Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. He will join me as he always does at seven thirty tonight. Also, Jen McCaffrey of the Athletics. She covers the Boston Red Sox. She'll stop by at eight p.m. for a series preview of what to expect this weekend and. Really, how the Red Sox have also been a team that has turned things around this year. They were ten and nineteen at one point. Now they're thirty and twenty-seven, uh, playing some really good baseball, and they have taken it to those LA Angels over the course of the last couple of games. Tonight they have their series finale. We'll also check in on a lot of great conversations that have been had this week on Seattle Sports Station. Jerry Depoto he stopped by with Mike Salk today. We will talk about that. We'll also hear. From Cal Raleigh, who was on with Bob Stelton, Pete Woodworth, Mariners pitching coach, who sat down with myself and Jake Heaps earlier this week. So much to get to tonight in extra innings, but let's take a look at this Mariners team and how I'm not going to say that they have completely righted the ship because, look, they're 26 and 31. They're still five games under 500, but they are in a considerably better spot than they were a couple weeks ago. And what was it that took them to get to this point what was the turning point and I mean Jerry DePoto was on with Mike Salk earlier today and talked about how that Oakland series the series where they dropped two of three to one of the worst teams in baseball a team that for the briefest of moments overtook the Mariners in the standings in the American League West talked about how after that series they had to call a team meeting you know after the uh, Oakland series here at home about two weeks ago we had a team meeting, you know, with the with Scott, with the staff, some of the members of our front office, and, and just talked about where we were and and how we were going to get where we needed to be. And frankly, since that meeting, it's gone pretty well. And in that meeting, we talked about 
focusing not on on where we were in relation to the Houston Astros or the New York Yankees, just looking directly in front of us and just start chipping away. And chipping away is exactly what the Mariners have done ever since that Oakland series. And you know what? I'm I'm very encouraged to hear that that was sort of the point of no return for the Mariners. Because, look, they were 18-27 and 27 on May 25th, and since then they've won a series against the Astros, they won a series against the Orioles, they won a series against the Rangers, and they've won a series against the Astros. Now, the longest winning streak they've had over the course of those games is two, but they're also 8-4 and four in those 12 games, which is a marketable improvement over what they were after that Oakland A's series where not just losing two of three to one of the worst teams in baseball, but just uncompetitive games in that series. I remember being on the pre- and post-game show for that final game of the series on May 25th when the Mariners lost 4-2 to two to the A's. They didn't score until about the eighth inning that day, and and even those runs were, were not necessarily runs that you would feel good about. I believe one of them was on a wild pitch. The other was on a like a fielder's choice, so it's not like you know ringing doubles into the gap or hitting home runs or anything like that. It just felt like the wind had been completely taken out of the Mariners' sails on that May 25th day. And look, last year there was the series against the Padres where they were outscored 31 to seven in a three-game series in San Diego. That sort of was the turning point. That's where the bottom fell out for the 2021 Mariners. And after that. The season became an entirely different story. We all remember how much fun last summer was. Ultimately, they did not reach the playoffs, which is you know should be the ultimate goal or one of the ultimate goals of this organization. But it set forth the momentum heading into this season. And right now, the Mariners still needing to climb out of the hole that they dug themselves in. But they're twenty six and thirty one. They have a great opportunity to pick up some serious ground this weekend against the Boston Red Sox. And look, this is not just a series where they can pick up ground. This is a series where they can you know, look at a team that really had their number less than a month ago, about three weeks ago, four weeks ago, in Fenway Park. We all know how that one went. And look, the Mariners this season, they've taken their lumps, obviously, getting swept by the Astros, getting swept by the Rays losing a few series here and there, but, I mean, they lost. They got swept by the Astros earlier this season in Houston. They got shut out two of the three games, but would you believe that that's the same team that just beat them two out of three in Houston? And, and their only loss was to Justin Verlander, a guy who is and 3-1 against the Mariners this year and is well on his way to being a Cy Young candidate in the 2022 season. This is a Mariners team right now that has gone through the valley – and look, maybe they are turning things around. Jerry Depoto also said he has no idea what changed with this team, but the grit that they have shown over the last 12 games, it's something to behold. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what changed, but you know, our focus, our energy, our just the the grit that our team has displayed over the last you know 12 games has been excellent, and that's what's required to to win against the good teams in this league and. You know, we continue to play a, a pretty tough schedule, and you know, as as it works out, we we towed it, and, and it kind of answered the questions, especially in Houston, where it hasn't been 
uh, a good stop for us these last few years, and, and I thought that was a good monkey to get off our backs. DePoto mentions the schedule that the Mariners have played this season. Taking a look at it, they have played the most road games in all of baseball coming into Thursday. They've played 35 games on the road, but 22 of their next 30 are at T-Mobile Park. Basically, three of the next four weeks, they're going to be right here in in Seattle taking on teams that should be on the lookout. Now, they sit four back of the Red Sox for that last AL wildcard spot. Boston comes to town. What has been the key to this turnaround? Well, obviously it's been the bullpen. Obviously it has been a, a bullpen that outside of Paul Seawald this season has seen a lot of volatility in its performance. Guys like Drew Steckenrider, a lot was expected of him this season. He did not perform up to snuff, so they sent him down to AAA Tacoma. Diego Castillo got off to a, a rough start, but he has weathered the storm. And, and just as he has weathered the storm, so have the Mariners. And Castillo, as we saw last night, his his strikeout of Jason Castro to end the game, I mean, that was some absolute filth. Diego ready the wind up and the 0-2 on the way to Castro. Swing and a miss right three. It is over. Castillo strikes out the side here in the bottom of the ninth. The Mariners win it. Six to three here in Houston, and they win the series two games to one. His emergence over the last couple of weeks has been an absolute godsend to this Mariners team. Now his his war on the season still at minus point six, but he has not given a, up a run since May twentieth when the Mariners were in Boston. Those series, in fact, if you look at his numbers, he has only given up one hit since then. He was perfect against the A's May 23rd, perfect against the A's May 25th, perfect against Houston May 29th. He pitched two perfect innings against the Orioles on June 2nd. The only hit he gave up was in a scoreless relief appearance on June 5th when the Mariners beat the Texas Rangers 6-5. to And then June 6th, he allowed a base runner off a walk but still didn't allow a hit. The Mariners won 7-4. to And then last night, striking out the side and looking dominant in doing so. Since that outing when he allowed two runs against the Red Sox back on May 20th, his ERA shot up to 9.00. Since then, it has shrunk down to 5.57, and he has been one of the best relievers on this Mariners roster. And, and look, the, the Mariners are getting more and more confident handing him the ball. Another thing that has been a huge reason as to why they have gotten to where they are after such a, a terrible start is Cal Raleigh and the bottom of the order. And what Cal Raleigh has done, not just in stabilizing the pitching staff behind home plate, but really swinging the bat and giving them a, a, a level of production that they have not had out of that position all year long. The stretch and the pitch, swinging a fly ball into right field. Right center going back, Tucker, to the warning track, to the wall, leaps up, and this one is gone into the bullpen. Cal Raleigh with a two-run home run is tied it at 3-3 here in the top of the fourth inning. Kyle Tucker high over the wall trying to bring it back, but there's number seven for Cal Raleigh. It comes with Toro aboard. We've got a 3-3 tie. How about that? We talk all the time about what if so-and-so becomes a star in this Mariners organization. You have the usual candidates of Julio, Kyle Lewis, Jared Kelnick, Logan Gilbert, George Kirby. But what if Cal Raleigh is close to putting it all together? 
How much would it mean to have a switch hitting catcher be such a threat in your lineup? I mean, that would be that would be such a luxury to have, a luxury that very few teams in baseball have. Look, I would be very open to seeing that. And look, Cal Raleigh has been incredible over the last couple of weeks. In fact, we will hear his conversation with Bob Selton later on in this hour. That's coming your way at about 7.45. But up next, Jerry DePoto sat down with Mike Salk earlier this morning. We'll take a listen to some of what he had to say, including why he thinks this team is where they are. That's coming your way next. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Extra Innings. You are listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings inside the Mariners on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Coming up in about a half hour, we will hear Cal Raleigh's conversation with Bob Stelton. Raleigh just on an absolute tear right now for the Mariners, swinging the stick and also really helping this pitching staff get some legs under itself after a shaky, shaky month of May. Also coming up in Hour 1 of Extra Innings, Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com. He will join me live in studio. Always, always a pleasure to talk to Brandon here on Extra Innings. But coming up right now, Jerry DePoto, as he does every single Thursday at 8.30 a.m., he sits down with Mike Salk to kind of give a, a overview of where the organization is every single week and how did the Mariners dig themselves out of this hole or, well, the digging might still be going on, but how have they been able to weather the worst of it? Jerry DePoto had his thoughts on that as well as plenty of other good nuggets that you want to take a listen to with Mike Salk. I don't know what changed, but you know our focus, our energy, our just the the grit that our team has displayed over the last you know twelve games has been excellent, and that's what's required to to win against the good teams in this league and. You know, we continue to play a, a pretty tough schedule, and you know, as as it works out, we we towed it, and, and it kind of answered the questions, especially in Houston, where it hasn't been uh, a good stop for us these last few years. And, and I thought that was a good monkey to get off our backs, just winning a series against the Astros in Houston, and coming home feeling great about a road trip instead of just good. Yeah, you mentioned the grid. Is there one person or one moment that sort of sums up where that comes from and, and what it means for the team? No, I don't know that there's one person. Just the same as, you know, cultures or leadership. I, I'm not a huge believer in a leader. You know, I, I think it, it happens from a pool of players or a pool of, you know, people really in, in any form. And and it, it's a it's subtle contributions in different ways. It's this guy's heart and that guy's energy. And, and it's, it's some combination of, of a group that contribute to, to creating that theme. And, and I, and I do think there were moments on this trip where that came to pass. And, you know, I, I thought from the, from an offensive perspective, the, like the, the uprising at the bottom of the order with Cal Raleigh, I, I, I thought the first game in Houston, based on what the previous two outings looked like, you know, a gritty, big grit moment for us was Sergio Romo coming through with a huge inning and, you know, and transitioning the game to, to late game bullpen where there is no Paul Seawald and, and he really stood up and, and got it done at a key moment. Those are the things you need to happen in order to put together a good run and, and we're on one right now. That Monday night game obviously is one that that we'll continue to maybe point back to and and talk about for a while and and anytime tensions rise like that it becomes 
uh, a, a certainly fun viewing experience for all of us. What were you thinking as you watched that go down in the ninth inning? You know, it's, it's funny. We've experienced this before. You know, this is, I love that fiery version, Scott. It's fun. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's uh, our players enjoy it. And it, it wasn't, the, it wasn't pleasant having a ball thrown behind you know, our best hitter, but as the way our team reacted again in, in a gritty moment. And I said this to, you know, to Scott and to, to Justin Hollander afterward that perhaps Hector Neris or the Astros helped us find our personality. You know, as you recall last week, we were talking about our need or, or, or constant search for it. And, and maybe that's, that was our moment when we found it. And, you know, unfortunately, Justin Verlander was pitching the next day. So that makes it a little hard to, to really get on a, you know, a good string. But it's a, it, there was a, a feel you know, in that moment that this was, this was a, a, a bonding moment for our team. And, and I hope that's the way it turns out. I forget, to, and maybe we've talked about this before. Were, were you in any uh, bench clearing situations in your time in the big leagues? Oh yeah, yeah, quite actually more than a handful. One of them that actually included our skipper, <laughs> and uh, I believe there's been footage that's been floated around our clubhouse through the years of uh, what was a, a kind of an epic bench clear where it was it, it got pretty heavy for a while on the field, and and Scott was directly involved. So. Uh, yeah, the Cubs and the Mets back in nineteen—I think it was nineteen ninety-five. Um, but that there's—they happen in baseball. It's not the prettiest thing, but it, in a lot of ways, those are moments that really do bring teams together. I was thinking about it and talking about it with my wife afterwards. And it's one thing when you know you're in your twenties and you get out there. It's you know Scott's fifty-five. I, I kind of like the idea of him going home to his wife and his family and her giving him the look like, really, what 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 was the plan here, Scott? What were you going to do once you got out there? Just yell and bark a lot, which is, you know, it's part of the fun. And <laughs> I think generally speaking, that covers about 90% of baseball bench clears is people just pointing and yelling. But, you know, it, it does get the point across, which is, you know, the, the notion that, you know, with your 26 players, with your coaches, that, you know, you have their back and you know, I'm here with you. And it doesn't always need to result, you know, and, and in fact, it probably never needs to result in, in you know, on-field violence or punching one another. But it's, uh, it, it does get the blood boiling and get everybody out on the field. And it kind of it ignites that passion that, that oftentimes, you know, it does turn into something greater in those moments. How important was it uh, or how telling maybe was it to see Julio hit a home run the next at bat? He's just such a different player. You know, the, the first thing you think of, Julio, and I, and I think we've seen this really, you know, since since he got here, but Julio doesn't shy from the moment. In fact, he, he seems to rise to it. And, you know, that's a, that's a wonderful sign with a young player and probably portends great things to come. He's, he has a way about him to, at such a young age of standing up and, and allowing the, the light to shine on him. And, and he doesn't shy away from it. It's, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's such a, a wonderful trait. And he's, he's been a phenomenal player for us. And I think in that moment, he takes that passion, he channels it, and it comes out in good ways where he hits a ball in the seats rather than let it overwhelm you and not be able to slow it down. And, and I do think that this road trip in general was a great, a great microcosm of, of Julio's growth. You know, it started out, he was excellent the first couple of games in Baltimore. And then that first game in Texas, it got running really fast for him. And, and you could see it moving really fast. 
And the next day he said, hey, this moved too fast for me. He pumped the brakes, he slowed it down, and he got back to being the impact player he's been for the last two months. What do you think it was when you say it sped up on him? What was it? You know, he had a big day. You know, the day we got to Texas, we didn't arrive at the hotel. I think I want to say I hit the pillow at 4.30 in the morning. And we had a game that evening with the Rangers, a late night the night before traveling in from Baltimore. And if you recall, that's the day that Julio won the, the Rookie mm. of the Month award. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his and his day was a little more congested as a result of that. You know, more media hits, you know, the need to get on the phone with this and that. And and I think he got to the ballpark and hadn't had a chance to go through his normal prep. You know, the the, the slow it down in the in the early day and and uh, and he was able to recognize that. And you know, the next day he came in, he looked different, and and he approached the game the same way he had. And again, he slowed it down in the moment, which I I think is. A fantastic trait for any player, much less a 21-year-old. I've been talking so much about just rising to the occasion to hit that home run in that moment with, you know, sort of the tension that's in the ballpark. But, you know, kind of lost in it is the ability to take that pitch to right field like that. How many guys in baseball can even can even make that swing? Well, in today's time, what you see are so many players. It's what makes Ty France, you know, so special is that he's just – he uses that side of the field so well. And, you know, the best version of J.P. Crawford is, is, you know, and what we find out when he's hitting in these run-producing type spots, the, the, runs, the runs are in the middle of the field and the opposite field. They're not on the pull side most of the time. And, and that's what Julio seems to have, you know, kind of recognized at an early age. And frankly, if we go back to Julio's, you know, 17-year-old season and, and as an 18-year-old as he's being introduced in the United States, it's there's that was his spot, you know, just driving the ball to right center field is that's how Julio does his thing. And and I'm thrilled that he hasn't lost that with the, you know, the 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 major league spotlight. He's just sticking with what he knows and now, he has the ability to drive the ball that way. It's always been there for him. And, and as long as he doesn't lose that, he's going to be a great hitter. Because, you know, hitting the ball as hard as he does and using the entire field, it's it's not going to hold him if he allows it to happen. Jerry, seven home runs now for Cal Raleigh. You mentioned uh, the way he sort of helped lengthen out the lineup. How important is his development? You know, in in the world of sliding doors, I, I think the fact that you know Tom Murphy was not yet ready to come back from the the IL and Cal very quickly after a week in in Tacoma was able to come back. It it has a, a similar feel to what it was like last year for Luis Torrance, where he just got a he got a chance to take a break. He exhaled, and and since he's been back, he just looks different. There's a there's a gleam in his eye. He looks engaged. I think he's been behind the plate. He's he's been catching great. You know, the, the game calling, the interaction with the pitcher is just he is engaged in a way that that I don't think he has been as a major leaguer. This is always the version we've seen in the minor leagues, and and I think knowing that he had some runway to play with uh, while Murph continues to to rehab gave him the opportunity to confidently go out and just and do what he does in a very regular role. You know, the, the catchers, it's about as every day as you can play. And, and we're seeing all of the good things that we've always seen from Cal. He'll take his walks. He'll hit his homers. He is, he's a very dangerous hitter. And, 
it's a, it's showing up that way. And when you have that kind of power at the bottom of your lineup, it, it really makes a difference. That is just a portion of what you heard this morning with Mike Salk. If you want to take a listen to the full conversation, really any conversation that you have heard throughout the day or throughout the week on Seattle Sports Station, make sure you are heading to the podcast page at seattlesports.com. Every hour of every show is available at your fingertips or at the click of a mouse. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcasts, you can find Seattle Sports right there waiting for you. Coming up on Extra Innings, we have got our conversation with Brandon Gustafson. That's next. Also, Cal Raleigh with Bob Stelton, Jeb McCaffrey of The Athletics. She covers the Red Sox. Still plenty more to come over the course of the next hour and a half right here on Extra Innings. You're listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. Joining me now on Extra Innings, he's a show regular, it's Brandon Gustafson of SeattleSports.com, joining me live in studio here on this Thursday evening. Brandon, how's it going? Good, and the uh, Mariners got to be feeling real good on the soft day, coming off of the fourth straight series win, six and three road trip, how about that? Yeah, I know, it feels like... We the last time we met on this show, <laughs> things were not going so swimmingly, and now all of a sudden things have taken almost a one eighty turn. And the Mariners they've won eight of twelve, they've won four series in a row. They just took a series from Houston in Houston for the first time since twenty eighteen, and now they have the team that is that they're chasing after in the wild card race. The Boston Red Sox right. coming to town yeah. tomorrow, and they have I believe a three game lead over Seattle. So. It just—it's wild how quickly things have shifted, not just in the American League, but also in the American League West. Because last time we also talked, <laughs> the Angels were running away with things, and now all of a sudden the Mariners can pass the Angels and not really have to do anything. Yeah, who would have thought that we'd be sitting here uh, just just a you know week and a half, two weeks since we last talked, and the Mariners are going to be on a roll and. The Angels haven't won a game in nearly two weeks and uh, have an interim manager. <laughs> Who would have thought we'd be sitting here talking about that? Oh, look, it's a good it's a good thing to have happen for the Mariners Absolutely. over the last couple of weeks. Another great thing to have happen for them really during that same time stretch is the emergence of Cal Raleigh. And not just Cal Raleigh behind the dish, but Cal Raleigh swinging the stick. Last night, hitting that big game-tying home run, his third home run of the road trip. What are you seeing from him at the plate that has – really sort of unlocked the Cal Raleigh that we all thought was coming up last year when he got called up. Yeah, the, the big thing with, with anybody in baseball, if you're a pitcher, you're hitting, you're in the field, whatever, it's just all about confidence. And you can tell that he's up there swinging with a lot of confidence. And you go back and you look at his minor league numbers, his minor league days, he's always had a ton of raw power. And he's actually hit for a decent average throughout his minor league career. Huge power. But when he came up here, just so much swing and miss, was just not making contact. Uh, when he did make contact, as we saw, the ball went really far. <laughs> Most of his <laughs> hits, even when he was really scuffling, were just absolute bombs. But seems like he shortened up his uh, shortened up his swing a little bit. I've seen a few videos where he's kind of doing some different leg kick type stuff, uh, depending on the kind of pitcher that he's facing. So seems like he has a really good idea of what he's doing up there at the plate. So he's never going to be a guy that's going to hit for a crazy high average by any means. He's going to always have a lot of swing and miss. He doesn't work a lot of walks. But when he's up there and making regular contact and regular loud contact that just changes everything because one of the things that we've talked about and it's been just a common thing with this team this year length of the lineup has been such an issue so having somebody down there in that bottom third who's actually producing runs for you at a pretty high clip changes everything 
Yeah, and, and DePoto mentioned earlier today with Mike Salk on Seattle Sports that the bottom of the lineup has been a big catalyst in this turnaround. Obviously, the bullpen, too. Uh, getting back to Raleigh, his performance behind the dish, how would you how would you look at how he's been able to handle this pitching staff, especially since he has not played a full season at the major league level? He's he's still pretty young in terms of baseball years, but it looks like he is is very comfortable catching all these guys. Yeah, he since he came up, even last year, he's always been really impressive behind the plate. He's just very, very calm, cool, collected behind the plate, which is obviously something that you really want because as a catcher, you're running the show. Everything starts with you back there behind the plate, calling pitches and making sure defense is aligned everywhere that it needs to be. Uh, something that not a lot of people realize is Cal Raleigh is the son of a former, or I, I think he's still a current uh, college head coach, longtime college head coach. So I think that that mix of him being a catcher and just the son of a coach, he really has a good idea of what's going on. And I think that, honestly, with Tom Murphy being hurt and being on the shelf for as long as he has been, I think that's really opened the door for Cal to come up and actually take real ownership of this pitching staff, knowing that it's not just Tom's going to come back in a few days and and then it's his staff again. I think he's really kind of taken ownership for it. And you've kind of seen that with just how much he's playing. You would have thought that upon his, uh, his, his call-up from Tacoma the second time this year that he would be splitting more time with Luis Torrens, but he's been the guy, and obviously that that's shown just with how much he's playing, but I think that it just shows he's playing with a lot of confidence and really just taking ownership of everything. Yeah, and you can tell, I mean, the pitching staff, too, is feeling, I think, a little more confident with him behind the dish, especially the bullpen. I mean, the bullpen has been one of the better facets of this team over the last couple of weeks, and it's been a big reason why the Mariners have turned things around. Diego Castillo, I think, is is at the very top of that Absolutely. list. Guys who Absolutely. Have, have gone from just – it was horrendous it was, at times yeah. <laughs> with him in there uh, over the season's first two months. But now, I mean, look at what he did last night. That That's final strike three where Jason <laughs> Castro's just flinging the bat. It goes flying. He was so helpless yeah. against Castillo, just looking dirty out there. I mean, what have you seen from him that has allowed him to regain the form and, and, and the form that the Mariners traded for a year ago. Uh, like I said with Raleigh, it's just you can tell this guy's pitching with a ton of confidence. He's going up there like, hey, I'm mid to high 90s and I've got the wipeout slider that's really, really firm. Nobody's going to touch it. And that's exactly how he's pitching. I think it really just goes back to when he had to put out the fire in New York. Came in there, struck out. Uh, gosh, I can't remember who it was, but then it was uh, Pete Alonso. Well, was one that was of them. that was the that was the last out. He he came in, he got a big strikeout. They intentionally walked Francisco Lindor, and then he gets Pete Alonso on the check swing. And really, since then, it's all clicked. He had one outing, kind of in between uh, then and now, where he gave up two runs, but everything else has just been pure dominance. Really, not allowing any base runners, throwing a ton of strikes. And they, I know Aaron Goldsmith likes to call him the slider monster, but it's like, hey, man, when you're throwing that thing 88 to 92 and they're not touching it, why wouldn't you throw it all the time? So just a lot of confidence. And that does such a that just changes everything for Scott service, because b- before Castillo kind of took off, he had one guy that he really trusted, which was Paul Sewald. And you can't throw Paul Sewald every day as much as everybody would like to. You can't throw Paul Sewald every day. So you need to have that other guy back there that you can trust and. Right now, it's Diego Castillo, and uh, the results have been just fantastic. One of the more fascinating things about this bullpen that I've noticed this year is is Paul Sewald, how he's still just as effective getting guys out, but he has not relied on the strikeout the way he did a year ago. I think last year, his case per nine innings was like 14-something, which was close to a team record, kind of near Edwin Diaz's historic season back in 2018. 
But Seawold's strikeout numbers this year down to about eight point whatever it is yeah. over nine innings. How has he been so effective not relying on the strikeout this year, and yet it still seems like he is getting as many outs and is really just as dominant as he was a year ago, but just in a different way. Yeah, just really hitting his spots, and I think part of it, too, would be that the the book's kind of out on Paul Sewald in a certain sense. Like, you know he's going to be fastball up in the zone, and then for the most part, especially to right-handed, uh, right-handed hitters, he wants to just get the slider away. Kind of know what you're going to get from him. It's still hard to square him up, though. Funky arm <laughs> angle, and when you're kind of coming from that angle that he's coming uh, down the mound, it's just... It, that 92-93 is probably playing more like 96-98, and, and that's just funky. The slider is an excellent pitch for him. It's got a ton of movement on it. So, yeah, he might not be generating the whiffs and the strikeouts and things like that, but he's still just throwing a ton of strikes, and the big thing is quality strikes and just generating a lot of weak contact. And it, it shows that he's able to go out there and still put out some fires, and even without the swing and miss stuff. It's It's a lot easier for these pitchers out of the bullpen to come in and kind of just get get the swings and misses to get out of these jams but he's just getting guys weak pop-ups weak ground outs things like that and uh yeah man you just got to come in and get outs and that's what he's doing it's really good to see brandon gustin of seattlesports.com joining me in studio here on extra innings brandon one of the more confounding or frustrating things right now for mariners fans is is just that big inning that Robbie Ray allows. <laughs> it seems like it is a guarantee every time he is out on the mound. His ERA outside of that big inning is is something ridiculously low, like point it's, five yeah, or something. It's, it's sub one. But it, then <laughs> in that inning, his ERA is something like thirty three, which yeah. is absurd. <laughs> how how do you even explain the craziness of Robbie Ray's season? Where if he were to just simply eliminate that big inning. We're talking about a historically good pitcher. <laughs> yeah, it's something I tried to dive into a little bit on SeattleSports.com last week. You can go check that column up. Just like, what's going on with Robbie Ray? And that big inning has been the story with him. And, and what's so confounding with his season this year, Curtis, is that, yeah, the, outside of the big inning, he's just, he's the dude. And he's everything that the Mariners were anticipating that he was going to be when they signed him to that big contract but that big inning just comes around and it's basically every single start I think he has only like two outings where he hasn't given up two or more runs in a single inning and it's it's confounding as as we've said but I think it all starts with if you go and look at some of his splits batters leading off the inning are doing a lot of damage to him and hitters are really getting to him early in the counts guys are really trying to be aggressive with him because when he's getting to two strikes they're not doing anything against him, really, uh, unless they're able to get it to a full count and work a walk. But with, with two strikes, he he's still able to punch yeah, guys out. He's still getting double-digit yeah, strikeout exactly. games. We saw that against the A's a couple weeks ago. He had 10 in, I think, six innings. Yeah, I mean, the the stuff is still there, and the, the velo has gradually ticked up. It was a little down to start the year, but that's been trending up. The The slider looks more like it did last year, and it's just it's interesting because like the overall numbers on even just those two pitches that he throws all the time – really aren't that bad and a lot of a lot of his advanced metrics are fairly similar to what it was last year but something else that I I kind of pulled up um during that story that I wrote last week was last year he only allowed about 11% of guys that he walked to come around and score entering this last start in Houston it was closer to 40%. So walks have really come back to bite him more this year than last year because his walk rate is it's a little up but not as as up as you'd think. 
yeah, he's given up the home runs. That rate's still fairly close to what it was last year because that's always been a problem for him. So really getting bit by the walks more than last year and then just really getting attacked early in counts. So it's going to be interesting to see if he's trying to expand the zone a little earlier in counts going forward, especially against teams like Houston, who he's seen a few times now, uh, and then uh, just go from there because obviously you cannot just have that one big inning every single start where you're giving up two-plus runs. I mean, that just limits the bullpen. It changes how deep he's able to go in games. It changes the entire complexion of a series. That voice you're hearing is Brandon Gustafson, a show regular here on Extra Innings. And you can read all of his work at seattlesports.com. Follow him on Twitter at TheBGustafson. Brandon, what do you guys got cooking up on the website. Yeah, tonight. we're just, we're uh, we're keeping a close eye on all the DK Metcalf contract drama, uh, seeing <laughs> what's going on there. I know, uh, I know, on your guys' show today, Jay keeps had a really good thought on how the the Cooper Cup new deal really impacts DK. So look for that tomorrow. Uh, and then, yeah, just kind of heading into the homestand. It's a big one, obviously. Boston, like you said earlier, that's one of those teams that Seattle's trying to trying to chase so just kind of riding this momentum here and uh really just getting a lot of mariners content out and uh it's a, it's gonna be a, should be a fun homestand boston minnesota los angeles angels i mean those are three teams they got to beat to get where they want to go 11 in a row at t-mobile park you hardly ever see that many in a row at home so. five game <laughs> series five game against, series against that's the... never happened yeah and you're getting them at the right time <laughs> yeah too. no kidding they are they're the walking wounded right now brandon gustison joining me here on extra innings brandon really appreciate you stopping yeah by. thanks Roger, take care. Just around the break, Cal Raleigh dials into our very own Bob Stelton as they get into the hot stick that he has been swinging and also his management of the Mariners pitching staff. What has gotten into him over the last couple of weeks that has helped this Mariners team really shake off the cobwebs of the month of May. That's coming your way. I'm Curtis Rogers. This is Extra Innings on Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network. You're listening to Extra Innings, Inside the Mariners, on the home of the Mariners, Seattle Sports Station. The stretch have the pitch, swinging a fly ball into right field, right center, going back, Tucker to the one, he track to the wall, leaps up, and this one is gone, into the bullpen. Cal Raleigh with a two-run home run is tied in at 3-3 here in the top of the fourth inning, Kyle Tucker High over the wall trying to bring it back, but there's number seven for Cal Raleigh. It comes with Toro aboard. We've got a 3-3 tie. How about that? Cal Raleigh has been one of the pleasant surprises on this Mariners roster over the last, really, month or so. Since the beginning of May, he has six home runs on the year. In the month of June alone, he is OPSing 947, a 250 batting average, 280 on base, and a 667 slugging percentage. And get this, in every game that he has homered this season, the Mariners are undefeated. And in every game he homered in last year, the Mariners are undefeated. So I guess he's just going to have to hit a home run in every single game that he plays. Cal was kind enough to join Bob Stelton just a little bit ago on Seattle Sports Station for the Mariners' spotlight. And what did Cal make of the hot stretch that he has been on? Well, let's take a listen to his conversation with Bob Stelton. It feels like we're watching a different guy up at the plate. I don't know if you've changed anything mechanically, if it's just a different mental approach. You just look like you're shorter to the ball. You, you look like you've got confidence. I don't know. What, what has changed, if anything, for you at the plate? Yeah. Um, you know, I've been feeling good and, you know, just trying to stay with it. You know, it's a, it's a hard game. It's a game of failure. And, um, you know, you got to have a lot of confidence and understand, you know, what's going on around you and, 
Um, I've just had a good support group and, you know, been just trying to put together good at-bats, trying not to do too much and, um, you know, just trying to get my foot down and be ready for a good pitch to hit. Did you, you know, obviously everybody's aware at the beginning of the year it was a struggle for you. You get sent back down. When you when you go back down, do they give you like a homework assignment, if you will, like, hey, man, we, we, we need you to work on this part of your swing or this part of your mechanics or this this mental approach? Or is it just, hey, go down there, have some fun, have some success, and you're going to be back up? How, how does that conversation go? Um, I mean, it's different for everybody. I mean, you know, getting sent down obviously is no fun, and but you know you learn you learn from it, and you know, um, it uh, you can either take it a good way or you can take it a bad way, and you know, um, I just chose to uh, take it and run and try to you know get myself better. While I was down there and try to continue to get better while I'm here, and you know, not 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 that I figured anything out or that I've you know got it all figured out, but you know, just trying to get better each day and trying to approach it with a different uh, perspective. Does it just feel like when you when you step up there, is there just a different level of confidence happening now? Yeah, I mean, confidence is huge, especially in this game. Like I said, it's a game of failure, and, um, you know, you got to be comfortable with, uh, you know, failing. Unfortunately, that's how it goes. The best players in the game, you know, fail seven out of ten times. And um, so you just got to get used to it, but you got to really stick to your plan and your approach and, you know, be confident and, and uh, you know, trust that it's going to work. You know, as a catcher, it's always tough because, you know, just talking to catchers over the years, your your first job, your first priority is what's happening behind the plate, calling the game, working with those pitchers and everything that goes on there. It almost feels like when you talk offense with catchers, they go, yeah, that's great if they can hit, but we need them. Here's their job. Here's what their, their is priority number one. Is it is it hard when it's like that to you know really focus on hitting when you're when you're going over the game plan with a pitcher and you're you're working with all these different pitchers whether it's starters or bullpen guys and and just working on your craft behind the plate? Yeah, I mean my number one job is you know taking care of the pitchers, running the game, um, you know knowing other hitters, knowing the situations, knowing the pitchers to call. So you know catching comes first overall. Um, you know the hitting is uh it's a it's a second thought for catchers um but um you know it's it's just when you get a lot of things on your plate you just got to keep it simple and you just got to have your priorities straight and be on a good schedule and you know just try to do the best you can and um so I'm trying to do how's it gone this year just working obviously there are new faces in the bullpen you get a couple new faces in the rotation Robbie Ray coming over you know some young guys with Brash and and Kirby so how long does it take to where you feel like, okay, I, I know this guy. When he's in trouble, I'm going to go to this pitch. Or when he's when he's rolling, I'm going to do this with him. When you really learn him, how long does that take? Um, you know, I think the biggest thing is just earning guys' trust. Uh, you know, it's not something that you can just come in right away and have. You know, it's on both ends. It goes pitcher-catcher and catcher-to-pitcher. You got to learn that trust, and you got to learn, you know, what makes the guy tick and what he needs at a certain time. And um, sometimes it just takes – it takes time and it takes reps and it takes games to learn. So um, it's still early in the season and we're still learning, but, you know, we're trying to get there as fast as we can. Hey, what, what do you think of uh, Pitchcom? Do you like that? Yeah, it, it, it's fine. It's, I mean, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think, I think a lot of people make a bit bigger deal of it than what it actually is. It's just, you know, it is what it is. It's a, it helps. It speeds the game up when there's a guy in second. Besides that, nothing really changes. Um, you know, still playing baseball, still executing pitches, and that's it. 
as far as how it works, I mean, just you know, we're watching on TV, so we can't hear what you're hearing or what what the little you know little device looks like. But it looks like you know, I'll see the pitcher like nod his head, like, all right, good, we're on the same page with that pitch, and then you hit it again. Are you like turning it off or something, or what? What happens after he he nods? Uh, nothing happens. I just I just put the thing back on my. Uh, I just put the velcro back on. Okay. Or I guess put the piece back on my leg where it sticks and get ready for the pitch. So. Okay. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing, it, and you know, I know some you you've got some pitchers that don't use it, right? You know, it's it's kind of a mix. Some use it, some don't. Yeah, some guys prefer it, some guys don't. Um, it's just preference, really. So. Have you been able to adjust the voice in it? You you could put in an actor's voice if you want, or a cartoon character. <laughs> uh, we haven't done it yet, but it would be it would be cool to hear like a, you know. Well, a cool actor with a cool voice say something like that. <laughs> is there, a, is there? So you're hearing the same. I've seen you put the earpiece in, so you're hearing the same thing. Obviously, the pitcher's hearing. What, what voice would you want to hear if you could put? Would you put Scott Service's voice in there, or would you go with somebody famous? Uh, I'd probably go. I don't know. Maybe some some big time actor. Uh, <laughs> trying to think. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I have to think about it. It's a it's a good question. Hey, hey, just as as far as the team goes, I mean, it's uh, it's it's great to see what's happened on the road trip. I know you didn't get the win last night, but just you know, winning the series that you guys have, and hopefully can can pull that off against the Astros. Just what what's the we talked about your confidence, but just the team confidence. You know, getting this done on the road the way you guys have. What's what's the vibe in the in the clubhouse like? You know, we're just trying to you know stay with it. I don't really. Uh... You know, nothing really changes mentally. You know, everybody, we want to win every game we can. I think that's the goal going to each day is to do the best we can, stay with our, you know, what's been working, our, you know, our process, and, you know, trusting that we're going to go out there and do what we can. And, you know, I think the biggest thing is each guy just doing their job. Pitchers doing their job, hitters doing their job, uh, making plays. Um, you know, at the end of the day, when we look up, we just, you know, we hope to be in the wind column if everybody does their job, so. It, it, it just as far as where the team is, I feel like you know for fans we were, you know, expecting a little bit more record wise, and I'm sure you guys were too. Do you do you feel like you guys are close to? It feels like obviously this road trip again, a winning road trip, headed the right direction. Does it feel like okay, this team's starting to find their rhythm now? I mean, yeah, we want you know we've won the last few uh, series, which is big. You know, that's what you want. You want to win each series. If you break it down like that, at the end of the year you should. Uh, you know, be in the win column and, you know, be in the playoff hunt, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, you know, there's still time. Um, obviously we want to, we want to do the best we can and everything, but we realize that we just need to stay with it and not, you know, not worry about the little things too much or fret. And just like I said, if everybody can do their job, then at the end of the day, we can look up and be in the win column. Well, Cal, it's, uh, it's been fun watching your progression, watching the team do what they've been doing on this road trip. Hopefully the success continues uh, for you and the team. We really appreciate you taking time and uh, look forward to talking to you again down the road. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, you got it. Have a good one. Coming up in hour two, we will take a listen to Jeff Passan, who was on with Mike Salk in the mornings on Wednesday. Also, Jake Heaps and myself had a chance to talk to Mariners pitching coach Pete Woodworth this week. What did he make of Logan Gilbert's Incredible start to the 2022 season. How have the Mariners been able to turn around in their bullpen? George Kirby's command, all great stuff that we talked about with Pete, including a very funny story he shared about a mound visit he had with Paul Seawald 
in the 2021 season. So much to get to in the 8 o'clock hour, but up next, Jen McCaffrey. She covers the Boston Red Sox for The Athletic. She's kind enough to join us next. This is Extra Innings, and I'm Curtis Rogers. You are listening to Seattle Sports Station and the Mariners Radio Network.